Let's go. Let's go. Oh, oh did you want to? Sorry. sorry, I'll let you. I'll let you. Next time. I'm in love with you. Snap out of it. I'll have what she's having. Too many guys think I'm a concept, or I complete them, or I'm gonna make them alive. I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for my own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Caustic wit is my religion. I would make a great queen because I am so stubborn. I say when it comes to stardom and Lauren, there are no accidents. Hi, Karen Peterson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Citizen Dame, the podcast where we take a little bit of time off because we need to take some time off, but then we come back and we start talking about fascinating things like Ghostbusters and Suicide Squad and Scarlett Johansson. So uh, as always, I'm Lauren Humphreys Brooks, and with me is Karen Peterson. Hello, Karen. Hello. How are you? You you actually got to to go to a wedding. How was that? I went to my baby sister's wedding. It was so weird and <laughs> awesome. And she's just such a beautiful bride. Her husband, I'm still getting used to that. I mean, I've known the kid for like 10 years, but because they they started dating their freshman year of college and I guess I didn't meet him until a little bit later, but um but yeah, I've known him for a long time. He's been part of the family for, you know, ever. And now it's official. And and uh, it was a lot of fun. It was great to see some cousins and some aunts that I haven't seen in a million years. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was nice to be in a setting where it was just like, wow, we're celebrating something happy and the world is good. And these two just beautiful, beautiful people who are my sister is definitely I have three siblings and my sister is definitely the best of the four of us she's just the (laughs) kindest person and yeah it was just it was nice to get to be reminded that other people see that too you know Mm -hmm. like her bridesmaids her maids of honor I guess when they were giving the their speech at the reception it was just they were talking about how she's so humble and she's so generous and and just all these qualities that I've always admired in her and it's just like oh other people see that too (laughs) so (laughs) it was just a a beautiful beautiful time and I got to go golfing with my dad and which is something I've wanted to do for a long time too and it was like pretty much my only chance this this summer to get away because I haven't it's like every time I'm planning on like, oh, I think I'm going to go out of town really quick this weekend. Then someone's like, hey, can you come watch my dog? Hey, can you come <laughs> take care of this? Hey, I have this need. And it's like, I just want to get a weekend away. So that had to count for my weekend away. Uh-huh. But but it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And uh, yeah, enjoyed every minute. Oh, uh, well, that sounds so lovely. Yeah. So they don't listen to the podcast, but congratulations, Matt and Aaron. Yes, my <laughs> sister's name is Aaron. It's a whole thing in my family, whatever. <laughs> Aaron, Karen, and what's your brother's name? Mark I and oh, Steven. I was gonna, I was gonna say like you could have been, could have named one of the other guys, one of the guys, Aaron, like A A R O N. I went out no. with a guy once named Darren, and I was like, no, this is not gonna work. <laughs> Karen, Darren, and her sister Aaron. Oh my god yeah no wow. yep that's that's wow. how it is in my family so 
I'm also named after my aunt, my dad's younger sister, for reasons that no one has ever been able to explain. My dad just says he liked the name. And uh, that caused a little bit of confusion when I was checking into the hotel. Uh-huh. You were Karen and there's... Um... <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah when you're there for the peterson wedding and they're like what's your last name and you're like um peterson <laughs> and then yeah and then you have this yeah it was a whole thing but it was fun sounds lovely sounds yeah lovely. well congratulations to your sister that's awesome thank you and and i'm glad that you got to get uh, get away for a weekend and like get to have a little bit of fun yeah and then this this weekend too we're actually recording this episode on a sunday because i did get a little bit of a quick getaway that i had to plan months ago in order to be able to do this uh so people didn't try to take up my weekend but um i went camping with some friends out to joshua tree which is out in the middle of the desert and it i was like prepared for it to be blazing hot instead it poured down rain (laughs) so you know (laughs) it was it was great though it was beautiful you know i remember um so i i come from from the middle of New York state and it's very rural and everything, but it's very wet. And so every single time I've been camping in this area, it's always rained at least one of the days. It doesn't matter. Like it can be like, you know, in the middle of a week that is nothing but sun. And then the day that you go camping, it's like pouring rain. I remember going camping with my friends in high school and like we set up the tent in the pouring rain. There were mosquitoes everywhere. It was just, It, it wound up being loads of fun, but it was also hilarious because we were soaked for like the first half of the day. <laughs> yeah. One of my friends is from Seattle. He's lived here for a few years now, but uh, he's from Seattle. And he was just like, I've never been camping when it wasn't raining. And then he's like, and I thought I'm going to the middle of the desert in California in the summer. I'm finally going to have a dry camping <laughs> trip. <laughs> he brought the rain with him, obviously. He did. Yeah, he did. I blame him. Uh, well, that's the camping weather, weather report. That's um, right, as as we always do at the beginning of this podcast about <laughs> films. Um, I don't. Have know you been? What have it. you been up to? <laughs> I'm actually upstate. I decided to stay an extra week, um, partially because I wanted to have a weekend off where I just did not have to do anything, and it, it dovetailed quite nicely. This, the Friday and the Saturday dovetailed quite nicely with with you going away um so i was like oh i can have friday and saturday off uh, i'm that's so nice. glad i could help you out <laughs> don't have to do anything <laughs> so went walking it has actually been really nice up here this is the first kind of grayish day that we've had in a while hmm. um and so went went for a walk went and got ice cream did like just fun nice things locally which is has been nice i definitely needed it i've been overworked unfortunately yeah. fortunately slash unfortunately i'm like i have work which is good uh because i can earn money and pay my rent and you know do all the things that i need some to important things to that's good but on the other hand i'm like but i would really like some time off yeah it's um, I, I i've been kind of in that situation too where it's like my i have a coworker who retired last year and they apparently do not plan on replacing her and so my department who used to have seven permanent employees now has two permanent employees and i recently looked it up and i was like oh cool i have over 300 hours of vacation time just sitting there waiting to be used because i cannot get time away because they will not give us more people and it's just that's a great way to burn out your staff. I'm just telling you. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, it's it's been a weird situation to to be continuing continually employed, right? In particularly in the current context, um, mm -hmm. and with so many people who've been furloughed or who've lost their jobs, etc. And so on the one hand, it's like, okay, I'm I'm still getting work, I'm still employed, but I'm tired, and I want to have that time off. I want to have a little bit of you know breathing space, and uh, yeah, it's it's yeah. kind of a weird. It's a weird space to be in because on the one hand you're very grateful for being for having work and having money and being able to make money, and on the other hand it's just like, oh god, a couple of weeks off would be awesome right now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's I don't I don't want to complain because I definitely am grateful that I have a job. I was never affected by layoffs or anything like that. But at the same time, it's also frustrating when I'm like, gosh, I know some really great people who are out of work right now. That would be amazing to replace my retired coworker, give someone <laughs> else a job and give yeah. me a break. Yeah, exactly. There's that too. I mean, you're in a different situation than I am, but um, yeah. yeah. So that is the employment report and the weather report um, from our film podcast. <laughs> All the podcast. content you come to us for. From our film podcast. All right. So let's talk, let's talk. Let's about complain movies. about dudes. Let's talk about movies. Let's <laughs> complain about dudes. Uh, I want to start just right at the top uh, with the Ghostbusters trailer, uh, the Ghostbusters Afterlife trailer, which came out over the past week, I think. Um, yeah, I'm still a little confused as to timing. Um, and so this is pretty much just more of the same, you know, we've seen trailers and clips and things like that from this film, um, which is finally going to get released after after being postponed um, because of the pandemic last year. Well, and we think it's going to, because you have to remember, <laughs> there's this Delta variant that is apparently as contagious as the chicken pox. Which I've seen different, like, I've seen different epidemiologists being like, I don't think that that's quite accurate. I think we need to pull back on that a little <laughs> bit. But yeah, everybody wear your mask. Wear your masks. If you're vaccinated, wear masks indoors in public spaces. Just do it. And like, mm -hmm. just do it. It's it's another layer of protection. Like, no, they're um, not fun. None of us want to. But the more we do it, the sooner we don't have to anymore. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but so possibly ghost, the, the new Ghostbusters film is going to come out at some point. Uh, and so they released a trailer for it. And I had to laugh because the reaction to the trailer <laughs> overall was pretty much just like, this doesn't look like any fun, um, which it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it looks like a really weirdly serious kind of Stranger Things-esque movie about Ghostbusters, which is just odd. Um, and, and so I, it got me thinking a lot about nostalgia and why we like prize these things. One of the things you have to say about the first two Ghostbusters films, the original ones, right, is that they're, they're silly. They are silly. They're yeah. like, I mean, you have to remember they're headed, this was originally a conception by Diane Aykroyd and John Belushi about like, Ghostbusters from the underworlds, basically. This was a completely different idea, right? But the, this is SNL alums. Um, this is like Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis fighting ghosts. Like it's, it is silly. These, these are ghost exterminators. And the first two films were silly. So for that matter is the 2016 Ghostbusters. It's very much in the same vein of silliness. It's like, this isn't really serious. This isn't really, oh, it's the apocalypse. Yeah, but it's also like an exploding marshmallow guy. <laughs> like that's- It's hilarious. That's, yeah, that's funny. Right, it's mm -hmm. supposed to be funny. It's not really that scary. It's maybe scary to you if you're eight years old or something like that, but definitely not scary for adults. It's it's just it's a silly comedy, 
And this trailer just makes this particular film look so self-serious. It takes itself so seriously that I'm like, you know, why, why are we doing this? What is it, like, who is this for? I think that that's one of the questions that in, in watching it was like, is this for fans of the original films? Because this doesn't look, this doesn't have the same kind of feeling to the original films. Well, according to director Jason Reitman, son of director Ivan Reitman of the first two movies. Um, yeah, this, remember that was a whole big thing that happened you know a year or two ago was when he was like we're going to return ghostbusters to the fans the fans who only liked one out of three movies yeah and and that's what i think has is kind of produced such weird reactions to this because everyone's going but this doesn't look like any fun it's like yeah this is exactly what those assholes who were, you know, shouting about the fact girls are being Ghostbusters. How dare you? Um, this is pretty much what they were asking for. They were asking for something that pandered to them and that treated this franchise, which is barely even a franchise, um, with the same seriousness that they do. And it's like, guys, literally the things that you actually like about Ghostbusters when you come down to it are not any of that. Like, this isn't serious. Yeah. This isn't this isn't important particularly. Exactly. Um, and yeah, yeah and it, it just it just comes down to that. But I was interested in uh, one of the things that Matt Solar Sites uh, said earlier, and I very seldom agree with him on a multitude of things. But I thought that he brought <laughs> yeah. up an interesting point. He said, "I will never understand um, why some people treat Ghostbusters like a religion. It's so slight, so slapped together. That's the source of any charm that it has." And I mean, I'm someone with a Ghostbusters tattoo. I love Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the 2016 film. One of the reasons why I love it is the fact that it's very silly and it's taking these very supposedly serious elements like, you know, scary ghosts and the apocalypse and all that and, ma- and making fun of it, basically. Being like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But it's you know, he's right in a certain sense. It is very slapped together. None of the films are particularly perfect films. They're not... They're well constructed and they're funny, but these are not like, you know, tightly honed comedic horror comedies or anything like that. These are very sort of silly, freewheeling, um, ridiculous movies. This is the kind of thing, like when I was a kid, I used to think that that the two Ghostbusters movies were the same film and that the Marshmallow Man and the Statue of Liberty got into a fight at the end. Like that's how I remembered it, right? That would be an amazing movie. Which I would definitely, if they want to make another Ghostbusters movie where the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and the Statue of Liberty get into like a Keiju style battle, I would be so down for that. Like that would just like, finally my childhood memory will come to fruition. Um, Maybe it wasn't a memory. Maybe it was a uh, premonition. (laughs) Exactly. I remember watching it again as an adult and being like, wait a minute, doesn't, doesn't the marshmallow man fight the statue of liberty like i'm <laughs> and everyone just looked at you happens. like what are you talking about <laughs> i'm positive that that happens but apparently it didn't like, it very much did not except for sad. in your brain which you know there's some great movies in your brain so <laughs> but yeah well one of the things is like yeah just going back to to what matt said on twitter and some you know we've talked about this a little bit before when the movie was about to come out before it got delayed one of 1800 times um yeah there there's just this like i mean they have ghostbusters day or whatever 
and which I think they do on the anniversary of when the first film was released in 1984. I think I might that's, be that correct about right. that. That sounds right. Yeah. And yeah, like they have badgered Paul Feig. They've badgered Leslie Jones. They've, you know, just been so mean about anything that's not like part of the, the Ghostbusters world that they have created. And I don't understand it because yeah, Ghostbusters is a lot of fun. I remember going to see it in the theater in 1984 with my dad and I was scared because I was like seven, you know, but, but over the years I've seen it so many times and it's part of my childhood. It's part of my childhood. And it's a movie that I can turn on now. I can quote it to death. It never gets old, but also it's silly. It's goofy. And people just, because they just have to take all these things so seriously and they have to hang on to Like, I remember when 2016 was first announced, they hadn't even started filming it yet. We hadn't seen a single picture and all these dudes were whining that it was ruining their childhood. And I'm sorry, but if a movie made today can ruin your entire childhood, then I hate to tell you fellas, but your childhood sucked. Yeah. The, the idea that like, well, and what it comes down to, what, what that really came down to was the fact that it was casting women and not just women, because I remember some of the whole build up to that. And there were all these discussions when they first began saying that like, Oh, they're going to make the, the next Ghostbusters film is going to be a reboot and it's going to feature female Ghostbusters. Mm -hmm. I remember kind of the the rehearsal of like, okay, who would we cast? And one of the things that began happening was that they were talking about like women with big tits. They were talking about, they they were essentially saying, and I don't want to knock Megan Fox because I think Megan Fox is awesome, but they were not really referring to Megan Fox because she's a a great actress. They were referring to Megan Fox because they think she's hot. Um, And, and things like that. So they were like, oh, Megan Fox and Lindsay Lohan, I remember, was someone that they they oh, yeah. began talking yeah. about as being like, oh, she should be in the next Ghostbusters film. And what happened, I think, um, I think two things happened with the 2016 Ghostbusters. One, it got a, it got kind of latched onto by the gamer great gate crowd. Um, we have to remember that Milo Yiannopoulos was a part of the the attacks on Leslie Jones on Twitter, et cetera. Oh my gosh, I did forget about I forgot he existed. Well, yeah, because he's like been deplatformed and no one pays attention to him anymore. But that yeah, was what was going on. Why like, you deplatform he, people? <laughs> he was one of the major. He was one of the major kind of um, forces behind those attacks on Leslie Jones specifically. And but you know you can't have someone like Milo, Milo Yiannopoulos can be an asshole, but you have to have a whole bunch of assholes behind him in order for it to make any difference. Um, and and that's what was really concerning and what, what was really upsetting about all of that. But I, so I think that one of the things that happened was that it wasn't just, we're going to make this about women. It became very clear, particularly when they cast the, the women that they cast, that this was not going to be a male gazy. This was not going to be for a male fantasy. This was going to be for, uh, for other people, for people that it wasn't where it wasn't just about fantasy. And you look at the women that they cast, these, none of these women are particularly the male fantasy types. They're not, um, they're not the women that are going to be treated as, as sex objects on screen. And I think that that's one of the things that made a lot of these assholes really angry is that they realized at some point, and they were right, that this film was not being made specifically for them. And that that's really what made them angry. It wasn't even about Ghostbusters. 
per se. It was about the fact that this was not their movie. Um, yeah. This was not something that was being directed towards them. This was being directed towards other people who might actually enjoy Ghostbusters. It was being directed towards women. It was being directed towards children um, and who might actually be able to identify with those women and accept those women, not a bunch of misogynist assholes who just want to objectify them. And so that's that's definitely one of the things that was happening with that um, with that whole thing. And I think that this real just you know like what Matt calls this like religion, this religious you know reverence that people have for the original. I think that that really started in earnest with the 2016 Ghostbusters. There's yeah. always been a fandom, but I don't think that it became this like ownership thing until like you're talking about until they started to feel like that was being taken away from them. Well, and, and we've seen it and actually kind of the 2016 Ghostbusters as sort of surprising as it was, is not surprising at all in retrospect um, because we've seen, we've seen the films that have come after that and the attacks on, on Brie Larson and Captain Marvel, um, the attacks on Birds of Prey, the attacks on, to, to a lesser extent, but it's still there, the, the anger surrounding Wonder Woman. Um, and at each point, it's, it's, it's become more about this thing that for a very long time was directed specifically towards straight white men, um, no longer being made specifically for them, right? It was saying like, we're actually making this for people that aren't you. You can play, you can engage with this, but this is not specifically for you. You are not the main focus of this film and of this franchise. And that really made them angry. Uh, so I, I think that it's sort of, in a lot of ways, you know, we, we've talked about it before that Ghostbusters 2016 came out before the 2016 election came out. So it was just kind of in the buildup towards what eventually became Trump um, and all of that. But it kind of, it was kind of a, an early marker for the way that um, that media was going and the way that fandom was going and this very real anger that is coming from these these men who truly believe that everything is supposed to be for them. Uh, and if you make anything that is not exactly what they want, and a lot of it is about objectification. A lot of it is about um, you know women without agency, women who really are just there in order for the men to ogle them, uh, all of that kind of thing. As soon as you begin doing that, then they're going to get angry about it. Mm -hmm. um, and and I think that Ghostbusters sort of suffered as a result of that. And but it, it's also never it was never really about Ghostbusters per se. Right. Yeah. You're absolutely correct. And this movie doesn't look like it's going to be fun. It might be a competently made film and it might have a decent story, but it's not going to be the silly, goofy fun that Ghostbusters always has been because Jason Reitman doesn't make those kinds of movies. He just doesn't. And so, yeah, you get what you ask for, I guess. So there will be some people who will be like, yeah, this is perfect. And then there's going to be some of us who are like, make Ghostbusters fun. Give me Ghostbusters. Answer the call. Part two. I need more Kate McKinnon in my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, I mean, there's a part of me that's like, I kind of hope that this movie is good, but I really don't expect it to be. Um, nothing, nothing that has surrounded it has convinced me. This, this really is for 
sad white men yeah yeah <laughs> exactly uh anyway so you get what you pay for guys like this is what you wanted here you go uh speaking of sad white men um <laughs> that was a nice one i like that I think this is a great segue actually mm -hmm. david air very sad very white, david, very david man Ayer, yes um so david air if for those who don't know david air is no blame there because there's no reason for you to know he uh directed suicide squad the original um whatever that was i, I don't even remember what year it was 2016 um, oh my, oh my God. gosh the best and the worst movies that year <laughs> 2016 suicide squad um one of the two movies we're talking about today was on my 2016 top 10 list and let me tell you it was not suicide squad <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um so David Ayer directed uh, Suicide Squad, and of course, the, this film was not particularly beloved. Um, it's a mess. It's a very messy film. It has all kinds of problems. I admit, and I was, I was saying this to, to Karen earlier uh, this week, that this was actually, at, at that point, this was one of my favorite DC films, because up until that point, there had only been like the, the Batman movies and the Superman movies, all of which are deeply, deeply depressing. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and suicide squad had this like element and it's it's a terribly problematic film it is not a well-made film particularly it's it's not good but there were definitely elements in the film that i was like oh this is kind of fun like there's some fun stuff uh margot robbie as as a uh, harley quinn is, is obviously wonderful and she's just gone off on her own with that character <laughs> and i love that but she it was there even in kind of the the objectification of that character and the treatment of that character in that film she was so much fun she was so good and so obviously invested in making this character as good as she could make it mm -hmm. um in the context of a not great film so there, there's some good stuff in suicide squad uh yeah when you said that earlier this week i was just like oh my gosh lauren wait oh crap you might be right <laughs> like because then i started it, thinking like oh yeah by 2016 we'd only had man of steel which is not good we'd had batman versus superman which is not good and was wait what the, else was there by that the, point the the nolan batman films well i um, love those but i'm not counting those in the dceu i feel I, like I'm those just, are a totally separate thing but yeah they they are but i just even thinking about those films as being even even tangentially connected to mm -hmm. the rest like those are are heavy dark they are they are depressing films they're, they're not <laughs> yeah. there there's no sense of fun in those films suicide squad was actually bizarrely enough one of the first DC EU films. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, mm -hmm. There's some fun stuff here. Not a good movie. I am not defending so it at all, <laughs> by the way. Uh, but so, so David Ayer, so, so James Gunn now has made a version of The Suicide Squad. It's, see, it's um, a different movie because it's The Suicide Squad which which is getting some some early critical praise you know it hasn't actually been released yet so we don't don't know how people are actually going to react to it once more human beings have seen it but it's getting good buzz uh so far and air decided to take this opportunity to release a long poorly spelled uh somewhat disturbing statement basically about um how his version of suicide squad had been taken away from him and that this the the studio cut what he says is the studio cut is not my movie 
Um, and my cut is not the 10 week director's cut. It's a fully mature edit by Lee Smith standing on the incredible uh, work by John Gilroy. He's, he goes on to say it has traditional character arcs, amazing performances, a solid third act resolution. A handful of people have seen it. He continues to say, and this is where I began to get like, what is happening here? Um, I never told my side of the story and never will. I'm old school like that. So I kept my mouth shut and took the tsunami of sometimes shocking personal criticism. Now, I find <laughs> it really weird that you release like a couple of pages of this statement on at the point where the, the latest, the new version is coming out. Yeah. Basically say, you haven't seen my movie. I will never tell you what my feelings are, but here's an, uh, here's another page about my feelings. <laughs> I just, it's all very weird. And, and air has, has kind of been on this kick about how really ever since the Snyder cut thing got, um, got, speed right mm -hmm. again speed he's been on this whole kick of, of how suicide squad was not you know the film that he intended to make all of that now i mean i believe him i i believe that there's there's a strong possibility that that warner brothers took the film away from him at some point that they recut it that like things happen that maybe he didn't intend i i don't necessarily think that that's a lie or anything like that i don't think that that's the problem with suicide squad though so Karen, go on. What do you think? <laughs> I find it personally hilarious that David Ayer is trying to claim that he made a movie that had nuance because <laughs> he's not capable of that. I've seen several of his films. He does not make movies with nuance. Training Day, the one everyone goes to is like when you criticize David Ayer, but Training Day, you know what? Training Day only worked because of Denzel Washington. And that i'm sorry i'm gonna say it that movie is not a good movie is it kind of accurate to real life yeah in some ways it is sure it has a great performance but it's not a good movie and it is not a good story yeah he's he's not a director or writer who is capable of of you know really pre pre presenting oh sorry he didn't direct training day he just wrote it um but uh i just realized i said that wrong but anyway um he just he's not capable of presenting a really well thought out clear <laughs> argument which you can see from this weird tweet that he wrote or this like thing this essay or whatever that he wrote where it's full of errors and 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 mistakes and not just spelling errors but just like words that just don't make sense and no punctuation and i'm just like you're going to try to convince me that you had an edit that was just perfect and pristine when you can't even write a freaking paragraph. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't want to mock someone's writing abilities, but when you're going to brag about your skills, take some care in that. Well, and it seems like what he's trying to get going is something similar to the Snyder Cut thing. Yeah. That, oh, 100%. To, to push people to, you know, keep on calling for the air cut. Um, of this of suicide squad so that and there know, are people who are gonna to do that it. yeah sorry no well what i was gonna say was i mean i i don't he does not have the the degree of fandom clout i think that Zack snyder does he doesn't have the same kind of dedicated fans that snyder does it's possible for him to get this going i don't know he definitely has some fans 
and he does have some people who are like on this bandwagon of like yeah okay let's have the, the air cut of suicide squad because there's this weird i think because of what happened with justice league there's kind of this weird idea now where any bad movie that comes from a studio obviously is only bad because of the studio not because of the filmmakers involved in it so yeah there it's particularly when it comes to warner brothers there's been this yeah. like conspiracy theory almost going on that like these films have all been taken away from their directors who have who have the true vision right um, and, you know, mm -hmm. there, there's definitely a long history of studios taking films away from directors and recutting them and, you know, and we, we have all of those things. Um, but I, I find it weird to, you know, center around people like David Ayer, who is such a, a, a terrible filmmaker in so yeah. many ways. Um, and and I and like, like I said, the problem that I had with Suicide Squad, it's messy, it's, it's overlong, it's confusing in places, they kill off characters very suddenly and i know it's called suicide squad but still i feel like there are characters <laughs> introduced who don't even really get their you know beat before yeah. they're dead um which yeah it's know, like what was the point of that guy yeah exactly which which is sad and everything there are some good performances in it um i think it's J jai courtney uh <laughs> is is just oh my gosh i just level. had a flashback to an episode a long time ago with kristen and and him too where Kristen was trying to talk about I think it was Jai Courtney and we kept trying to like, we were all getting confused like that guy or the other guy do you remember <laughs> this? Like, yes yes I think I was actually talking about the dude I don't even remember his name who's like the head Boyd something I think yeah he's, in that like, mix. he's the head of um he's he's like the the, the leader soldier in Suicide Squad <laughs> Um, who's like not one of the villains that has been recruited or anything but yeah it's just like you know the white guy the white guy is like which one <laughs> which white guy I mean okay so we've eliminated a few people but yeah <laughs> which generic white man are you talking about um but but actually actually I think that Jai Courtney is is pretty good in Suicide Squad amazingly enough um but but particularly Harley Harley Quinn and there's been a lot of talk about the treatment of her character in that film and mm -hmm. no no amount of meddling of Warner Brothers meddling made David Ayer film Margot Robbie the way that he did or yeah. made him write her the way that he did and treat her the way that he did and that's that has always been my sticking point in terms of Suicide Squad, the treatment of her character and the way that the camera looks at her, the way that the other characters treat her um, is, it's, it's gross, it's disrespectful, it's, you know, and like I say, I think that she did a great job managing to get a lot of nuance and a lot of respect out of that character in a film that really didn't want to give her any respect, that really would have preferred her to just be the sex object. Um, and it, it's more to the point of her performance and her ability to actually be more than that um, than it is to anything that David Ayer did because the treatment of her, the, her costuming, everything is just so grotesque and so sexist. And that's something that David Ayer did. That's not something that Warner Brothers did. I mean, really, if David Ayer wants to take credit for anything, he should take credit for the fact that he was so misogynistic in his portrayal of harley quinn that it spawned birds of prey which is amazing and perfect 
Yeah, and it can, basically Margot Robbie has been like, okay, I'm just going to take this character and walk away. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> she's, exactly. she's mine now. This, this doesn't belong to you. She's mine. <laughs> and, and you know, I respect that. But um, yeah. yeah, this this whole thing I is, is bizarre. It's kind of hilarious. Um, I've gotten in trouble once for responding to David Ayer on something. <laughs> yeah, don't so ever I, do that again. I was not about to quote tweet him on this one, but <laughs> I, I also would like to know David Ayer. I would really love to know what happened on that submarine because <laughs> he, he mentions his time in the Navy at one point. And it's just like, you will never know what happened on my submarine. It's like, I really want to know what happened on the submarine. Like I really do. <laughs> because yeah, like now you're running just, out of food and... yeah i was just saying it sounded like a, a quite a situation and i would like to know what happened on the it summer. sounds like the set of u571 <laughs> <laughs> yeah anyways um there we go so yes david air so the suicide squad is going to come out um you know i'll be interested to see it i i think that Dave, james gunn is, is a much better director although i have my problems with him i just want to see margot robbie as harley quinn again i don't care about anyone else i'm just so happy that this is going to be released on hbo max so i can watch it at home and not deal with fanboys in the theater yeah yeah that's really nice um speaking of studios that are terrible <laughs> <laughs> Disney. Um, so some people may have heard about this already that uh, Scarlett Johansson is uh, suing Disney over the uh, for breach of contract, I believe, over yep. the box office of Black Widow. Um, she is essentially saying that she has a, a clause in her contract that involves that she gets a portion of the box office take. And then Disney made this decision to release Black Widow on Disney Plus premiere access as well as releasing it in theaters. And, and the argument is that this is this has breached her contract. Um, and Disney has responded as we kind of would expect Disney to respond, uh, saying that the lawsuit has no merit whatsoever, that she's already received $20 million in compensation. Um, and and that uh, one of the things that I, I'm not seeing in the in the the rap article, but one of the things I know was said about her was that she was being greedy, this uh, being callous, mm-hmm. right? And I think that what and her she lawyer, needs to remember we're in a pandemic, and yeah, and what her lawyer is arguing is that they're that Disney is hiding behind COVID nineteen as a way of basically cheating her out of um, her contract of the the rights that she has, and. It's interesting because I think that also now um, Emma Stone has filed a lawsuit against Disney as well um, for similar reasons that yeah, Cruella got Cruella. released mm-hmm. for Cruella that Cruella got released on on Disney Plus um, in addition to being released in theaters and now that was a little that was earlier in the year so it was before a lot of theaters were were reopened even but there's definitely an argument to be made there I mean if these if they have as part of their contract an investment in the box office take and disney is sort of going around that by releasing it on disney plus in addition to theaters then you've got kind of a really interesting argument there and as a number of people have pointed out if disney can pull this sort of thing with major stars and scarlett johansson and emma stone are major stars what are they pulling with other people with people below the line with artists directors writers you know etc who are also also have contracts with them and um, and are kind of maybe being screwed out of things because they're 
because of the way that they've chosen to release certain films. And I, I, we even talked in the last episode about why Disney chooses to release certain things on Disney Plus with Premiere Access, um, when they release it just on Disney Plus. So you've got Luca and Soul both being released on Disney Plus without any Premiere Access all of that kind of thing. So there's a weird thing that's going on that would be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Well, this is what's what's interesting about the whole thing. And this is one of the things that the Scarlett Johansson's lawyers were, um, were talking about was, I don't know if it was in the lawsuit, but I've seen this being talked about in other places. It's the fact that when Warner Brothers decided last year that they were going to release their entire 2021 slate uh, day and day theaters and on HBO Max simultaneously, they went back. I, they didn't do this before they made the announcement, but after they made the announcement, they were kind of trapped. And they went back and renegotiated all those contracts so that people were going to be fairly compensated for their films, especially if they had those back end deals. And the, the thing is that Warner Brothers isn't even charging a premier access price. They're just releasing it to anybody with an hbo max subscription and so by doing that they are losing some money because people are gonna go like i'm gonna stay home and watch watch the suicide squad on hbo max instead of going to the theater but for disney who is charging 30 bucks for these premiere movies and I mean, we've had a lot of conversations about why doing streaming and theatrical simultaneous releases during a pandemic makes sense and is a good idea. But the fact that Disney's still making a buttload of money on these releases and now has found a way to work around not sharing the profits with people when they have back end deals, it's disgusting. And I'm glad, you know, I wish it wasn't, you know, Scarlett Johansson that had to be the face of this, but I'm glad that she is taking a stand because like you say, there are a lot of other people who don't have the clout that she has that are going to be influenced by this or affected by it. Yeah. I, I think that it's more important in a lot of ways that it's, that this is being brought up by a major star than, um, than who is bringing it up, right? So yeah, I even said on Twitter, I was like, I find myself in the disturbing position of agreeing with Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, it's, it's, she has a point. She has a point. And you know, I think that when we read these kinds of things to so Disney, it's like, well, she's already been paid $20 million. Just like, yes, that is a lot of money. But also this is the, the point of all of this in a broader sense is can you screw people out of their contracts basically? And Robert Downey Jr. got like $150 million for the last two Avengers movies. So you want yeah. to say 20 million is fair when another dude who's in like one sixteenth of the movie gets $150 million. Like maybe that was fair for him, but also she deserves more too, especially if they already agreed to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting argument. Um, and, uh, and I think we do have to mention Johansson is, is seeking both punitive and monetary damages as well as a trial by jury. So this is going to be like in the public eye for a while. Yeah. Um, and one thing I do want to just jump in and say is no, I have not read the contract. No, I am not an expert in contract law. So maybe there is some way that Disney wrote the contract so that technically she's not owed anything. And maybe technically they are following the contract and they're not in violation 
And you know what? If that's the case, that'll be proven. The lawyers will figure all that out. But if they are in breach of contract, she needed to call it out and they need to be held accountable for that. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting to follow this and to see what actually, um, what actually happens with all of it, because this, this is the kind of, of thing that's going to keep on coming up, particularly as streaming services become more and more powerful. We've seen this kind of accelerated because of the pandemic, I think, mm -hmm. but this was something that was going to develop over the course of several years of more things being released on streaming, this whole question of day and date release, this whole question of access, who gets paid for what, how they report box office take versus streaming numbers all of that kind of thing. And this is kind of in flux right now because the pandemic sped everything up, but the problems and the questions were already there. Yeah. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to see how these kinds of things play out. And of course the goal is, is ultimately Scarlett Johansson should definitely get what is owed to her mm -hmm. on her contract. And regardless um, of your personal feelings about her. This, the, yeah, this isn't, you know, I, I do think that it's, it's very marked that that the the people that are bringing these lawsuits are women and these are yep. major stars and you know we've talked about even income inequality and the inequality in pay rates in hollywood and yeah you're you're talking about incredibly high paid stars right but as you say when robert downey jr is making so much for a film and scarlett johansson is making a lot less for the same film or for a film that she's headlining mm-hmm you do kind she of had to wait to 10 years to get yeah you do definitely raise questions about them. those are fair questions regardless of our personal feelings about scarlett johansson yeah exactly um so moving on i think let's let's talk about a couple of of questions that we got on twitter um we kind of already answered this first one because we just spent a while <laughs> talking about it um but so we had a question from there's a part two to that so yeah at Paula fangirls i'm team ghostbusters 2016 Woo, yay. So, uh, we. <laughs> so seeing the new trailer for it didn't get me excited yes we absolutely agree with you um 100 there should just be the next sequel to uh the 2016 Ghostbusters. Yes. Um, so her other question was, what's a movie that if it was directed by a woman would be significantly better? Karen, I want to start with you. What do you think? I mean, all of them, but... <laughs> <laughs> all movies should be directed by women. Yeah. But I mean, there's, there's so many that, there's so many that come to mind. Um, I think that Rise of Skywalker it would have been a million times better if it was directed by a woman. I think that uh, a number of superhero films would be better with women behind the camera. I think, um, gosh, it's, it's actually a hard question to be really specific about because of the fact that there's so many things that go into making a movie. Yeah. But um, I'm just trying to think of some female-centric films that I'm like, ah, oh, this is almost there, but. Well, one that came to mind, and I actually really like this film, but I think it would have been, I think there would have been a different perspective uh, if, if it had been directed by a woman is Terminator Dark Fate. Yeah. yeah. Um, and because that one is very female-centric and I think that it does the, the female-centric nature of it really, really well. Um, but there was definitely 
there were definitely points where I was like, I feel like that this is just missing a little bit of understanding that, that mm -hmm. there's not, you know, and, and I'm not saying that male directors can't direct very feminist films or anything like that. And like I say, I really like the film. Um, but there's a moment, I think, in some female directed films where it just clicks. You're like, yes, you understand the way that women feel and the way that women interact with each other. Uh, that is just feels different when it is a, a female director or female writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One that just came to mind was Hidden Figures. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. That's definitely a good one. I think that would have been. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have, it's, it's a fine movie. Um, there are definitely some other elements of that too that could have been improved with a different perspective as well. Um, but yeah, I, I just, there's a lot. <laughs> I really, I really want to see a woman direct one of the Fast and Furious films. Oh, that'd be so fun. Um, Who I, I would really you like do. to direct? Oh God! Well, it's got to be someone who's good, really good at action. Kathy Yan, actually, I think would be. Oh great, yeah, great Fast and Furious film, and it would she would actually fit in really well because she likes those kind of big colors and those the kind of neon look and everything. And she's such a good action director. Mm -hmm. um, I think that she could do a lot of really interesting shit with. It. <laughs> um, yeah, she she's definitely one, but. It, it's such a male in, in a lot of ways, it's such a male centric franchise. Right. Yeah. Uh, but there's a camp, there's a camp element to it. And I think that the, the directors of these films, especially, um, uh, what's his name? James, James, I'm blanking on his name now. <laughs> I can't remember his name. I'm sorry. James Wan. James, oh, yeah. Wan. James Wan. I, I was couldn't like, think of it either. Oh, All I could I'm think sorry. of was Cameron. And I was like, I'm not, I know it's not James Cameron. And no, I'm not saying it isn't. that. <laughs> James, James Wan. I think that he does a great job with them. Uh, but it would be, it would be nice to see like a more feminine perspective. Yeah. Um, and I think that it could, there could be a lot of fun stuff to also to do with the men in that film, mm -hmm. uh, in, those, in, in those films, as well as the women. So I'd love to yeah. see yeah, get Kathy Ann in there. Come on. Yeah, totally. Oh, <laughs> I just thought of another one. And I enjoy this movie, but it would be, and I enjoy Steven Soderbergh as a director, but Aaron Brockovich would have been so much better told from a mm -hmm. female perspective. Mm -hmm. Maybe oh. she wouldn't have been dressed the way she was because Aaron Brockovich doesn't dress like that, you know? And it's just like, there's just little things where it's like, Ah, this this just it's just it's almost there. It could be so much better. I just thought of one showgirls. <laughs> yes. I want showgirls. As we know direct. because hustlers. Yeah, exactly. I was gonna I was gonna say maybe we actually already had that. <laughs> but just should know the story of showgirls, but just directed by a woman, written by a woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. All right. Also, uh Suicide Squad definitely would have been better. <laughs> uh-huh yeah let kathy and direct the remake of that or the next one or whatever <laughs> <laughs> or just you know birds of prey too uh, i would also like that which would be great so yes um sorry that i forgot james wan's name um no, i couldn't think of it either <laughs> uh so we also had another question from at noah underscore saturn what is your favorite comedy directed by a woman and i i think we've we talked about this a couple of times before there are a lot of them Mm -hmm. um i one of my favorites is is wayne's world obviously i think that that's kind of one of my top comedies of all time anyways um what's one of yours karen clueless big yeah. 
Jumping Jack Flash. Um, uh, the answer is always yeah. The answer is always anything by Penny Marshall, by the way. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> She's one of my favorite directors. I love her. <laughs> um, uh, 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 there was another one I was trying to, I was thinking of, and now I lost it again. Elaine May. Um, oh, uh, um, A New Leaf. Yeah, A New Leaf. That's the one. I couldn't think of the title. You couldn't think of James Wan. I couldn't think of a new leaf. I love that one. Um, um, gosh, there's so many. Um, I think Birds of Prey has a lot of comedy in it. <laughs> I would almost consider that a comedy. I, I do think the Birds of Prey qualifies as a comedy. It's an action yeah. comedy. It's it's definitely again, it's that sense of fun that mm -hmm. like you know this is we're going to deal with things like trauma and violence, but also have a lot of fun with it. <laughs> yeah because yep. that's what women do exactly um so i th thank you so much guys for for your questions we do always put out a call for questions on our twitter but also if you are um one of those people who listens to us and you're not on twitter please feel free to to send it to our email address um you know if you're if you're a patron posted on patreon we do check those things and we'll try to be certain to get to any questions comments suggestions etc things to talk about um we're always glad to hear from people yeah we love questions we really do it's fun because it gets it, it gets us talking too. It gets mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I really like that movie. <laughs> yeah, we try to think about them ahead of time, but sometimes some of us go camping and don't <laughs> notice questions until an hour before we're gonna record. Uh, so let's move on to what we have been watching, because um, there's a lot of different things I think that we've been experiencing uh, yes. in the past few weeks. I I did get to watch Black Widow, which I greatly enjoyed. I agree it's with so everybody good, who's been talking about Florence Pugh. Um, I I also liked like like you mentioned the the elements, the discussions of human trafficking, and the way that that gets worked into the story itself, and that it, it feels organic, but it also feel like feels like the film is actually doing something that's addressing real world problems and mm -hmm. using the superhero genre to to address those issues. And I liked that. I found it very satisfying. Um, you know, I actually kind of wish that Black Widow was in her own movie a little bit more. <laughs> I felt like she was sort of the, she was the plot mechanism. She was the plot driver, but other characters got to have more fun, which sort of made me sad a little bit. But she um, was never a particularly fun character. True. So it, I don't know, to me, it made sense, but I hear what you're saying. True, but um, I, I think that they could have given her more sort of the humorous lines that they also gave to Yelena. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that there could have been a little bit of a better balance there, but I do love Florence Pugh in that. I love- Such a poser. <laughs> and I also loved David Harbour. I, I admit that he was, mm -hmm. I thought he was great as their father. And I like the fact that he balanced the sort of silliness with this, like he actually is this great hero yeah and he believes in himself so much and he does like believe in his girls like he really does love them in his own way it's just kind of a fucked up way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah. but i i quite enjoyed him and i'm trying to i i loved the conversation when they were in the helicopter initially and they're like yes it's because we're not it's not our time of the month because we don't have periods <laughs> because our our uteruses were removed that's what happens <laughs> Yeah. Just like, okay, we don't need to talk about, oh, really? Because I was going to talk about fallopian tubes. 
I enjoyed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so I got to see Black Widow. Uh, Karen, what are you watching in these days? Okay, well, I do want to talk about a movie I saw that I really liked, but first I want to mention that there are two movies out, well, there are three movies out this weekend. I'll talk about the other one in a minute, but two of them are really not good. One is Stillwater with Matt Damon, and it tries to be like 18 different movies all in one, and none of them work. It's like just when it starts to kind of go somewhere interesting it takes a shift and tries to do a different tone and a different genre of movie and it just is a big old mess and just leave amanda knox alone that poor girl's been through enough like come on um and i know they tried to backpedal and say oh no this isn't really about her but it's 100 inspired by her story and then completely just ruins it and is trashing her reputation and that's not fair um and and she she released a very long twitter thread about that as well yeah that was very good because i didn't realize that that's what this film was based on Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and and the thing is it's like i'm not just taking issue with the fact that it's it's based very loosely on her experience and on her but it's also just like it's a mess of a movie it really truly is it starts off being kind of this family drama of like this dad who has to travel back and forth to france to visit his daughter who's been in prison for this murder but then it becomes like a mystery where he's trying like a and kind of a thriller where he's trying to solve the crime and get her out of prison and then like then there's another shift where something goes wrong and then it becomes this like romance movie where he's just like met someone and he's just living his life and just going about his day to day and it's just like come on just pick pick a movie and make it you know and and so it's just a frustrating frustrating mess so and yeah anyway and then the other one that i did not enjoy was jungle cruise which this makes me sad admittedly i'm not a fan of the rock but that was not my biggest problem with the movie uh I was 15 minutes into it going, oh my gosh, I'm so bored. The introduction to Emily Blunt's character is like straight out of Rachel Weisz and the mummy completely. I mean, it's like there's even certain moments like shots that they completely, you know, recreated. And, And it's just like not that interesting. And then you meet him and it's just like, okay, so he's just doing the narration from the jungle cruise ride at disneyland and it's like this isn't done creatively or you know and it's like i love that ride it's a lot of fun the jokes are are they they never get old because they're dumb (laughs) and and they're silly and you groan at them but you enjoy it and that's why you go on that ride but then to just like recreate that script for the movie it was just like come on guys you better but then it doesn't stop like that keeps happening through the whole movie and the story is weak it's trying to be the next Pirates of the Caribbean, but this is one of the things, I don't know if I was talking to you about this or someone else, but one of the problems is that why Pirates, the first Pirates of the Caribbean worked was Johnny Depp as Captain Jack Sparrow was not playing Johnny Depp. He was becoming Captain Jack Sparrow and creating this iconic character that end up getting nominated for an oscar it's a memorable character and that's the reason that we have five of these movies is because people kept wanting more until we realized like oh no uh less is definitely more but with 
the with jungle cruise you don't have an iconic character that comes out of this it's the rock playing the rock it's emily blunt being sweet and cute but basically playing emily blunt and so all these things just combined make it a movie that's just not good like go watch the african queen instead which actually inspired the ride in the first place go watch romancing the stone go watch the mummy go watch you know all these other go watch the first pirates of the caribbean again you know and and just you'll have a much better time that's unfortunate because i do like both of them i'm i do like the rock um and i like emily blunt and it, it's the trailers definitely made it seem like it should be a lot better than it sounds like it is yeah um that's unfortunate that makes yeah. me sad me too I mean, I may watch it at some point when it's like on, not on premiere access, but it's just there uh, sure, and available, yeah. but yeah. That, and that when you're not paying sense. for it, maybe you'll enjoy it, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I, did, I didn't, I just didn't feel like it was any fun. That's sad. That makes me sad. Yeah. What else uh, have you been watching? Well, there are two other things that I wanted to talk about. Um, one of them is actually just a film that I, I, uh, got onto because I'm, I'm currently staying with my parents and my mother wanted to watch it. Um, it's part of the, uh, the adult animation collection on um, uh, the Criterion channel right now. I think it's called Art in Animation. Um, and it's these different films from different cultures that are really artistic animated films. And they are generally adult animated films. They're not, these are not films that are made for children. Um, and the film, uh, the painting is really fascinating. It's about, and basically it's about these characters who live within an unfinished work of art. And they have divided themselves into a society where you have the all done. So the, the images that have been completed, right? And painted in, um, who are the kind of overclass. You have the half dones who are um, these kind of middle images that they, they're not, totally painted in but they're mostly painted and then the sketches that are just these these kind of nebulous little line drawings right and they have they have split themselves into the social hierarchy where the all duns are you know kind of the lord the lordly class and then the the half duns are the middle class and all of that and basically three characters decide that they're going to go look for the artist um to complete the painting because they think that this will fix their society it will make everybody equal um it's a fascinating film it's gorgeously animated um it it uses all of these different influences from different uh, art periods it uses picasso and matisse and chagall and all of that so we've got a lot of different uh modigliani is is in there so there's all these different kind of um influences that are interacting with it but then it becomes this story that really is about social hierarchy social stratification and uh and ultimately interestingly enough about God, because essentially these characters are going to look for their creator. Um, and they end up going in and out of other paintings in this, this, this search for him. So it's a really fascinating film. Uh, it's still on the Criterion channel, I believe. And not very long either, it's like an hour and 20 minutes. So, you know, it's a quick watch. It's very entertaining, um, beautifully animated. And I, it provoked a lot more questions for me than I expected it to. That sounds amazing. Yeah, it's really good. Um, so the other thing that I wanted to mention really quickly is that I've gotten to watch The White Lotus because people kept on talking about it. 
And I was like, okay, I have to see this. So The White Lotus is a limited series on HBO Max right now. Um, that's about a week uh, at a Hawaiian resort and all of these different characters who are going to this resort for different reasons. And it is one of the most stressful viewing experiences. <laughs> I have, I have had a lot of stressful viewing experiences recently. Uh, I rewatched Uncut Gems like also. It. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's very stressful, but it's fascinating because you get introduced to these characters and they're kind of, they're almost stock characters, right? They're, they're very recognizable stereotypes and types. And then it begins to dig into who they are and why they're at this resort. And it's a very sinister, <laughs> it manages to make very sort of simple things feel very sinister and it's it's like these these festering animosities these festering desires and everything that is just kind of beginning to bubble to the surface um, i'm mixing my metaphors there sorry uh but this just like beginning to come come up and um and the the series so far does a really good job at creating these characters that are fascinating that are very human, that are unlikable, um, but that you want to know what happens. It's just like, what, what is going to happen to these people next? And, uh, and I do have to say, Jennifer Coolidge really is an MVP. She is great in this. If you've ever suspected that she was uh, a bad actress, like watch this show, she is really a wonderful performer. Um, and so far we're, we're three episodes in, I think the next episode releases today. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to seeing where this goes. It is a stressful experience though. <laughs> nice. It's kind of like someone is going to kill someone else. <laughs> yeah. I really want to see it. So it looks, I've heard so many good things. Well, yeah. So many good things about it. And then it's just, I, have been watching a lot of Olympics coverage and so I just haven't made time to like sit down and start something new so mm -hmm. but, but there's one other movie I saw this week yes and it's a movie that I waited a very long time from the time I heard it was going to be a movie to finally get to see it and that is The Green Knight and I oh, loved it I'm jealous <laughs> I'm so jealous oh my gosh I <laughs> loved it so much and I don't want to say too much because I want you to just go in and just enjoy the experience of watching the movie but um you know I was having a conversation with someone the other day about how like we both had read the poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight back like I think she read it in, high, in college I read it in high school like excerpts of it we didn't read the whole thing in my class but um how this is just such a weird crazy story it's good but it's just so weird. It's like, how can this be filmable? You know, but David Lowry found a way to to really do justice and and really bring that artistry to this this legend that has elements of myth and fantasy, but also feels grounded. It doesn't ever feel like over the top and overwhelming with the the fantasy elements of it and it really is um it really focuses on the internal conflict of man versus self rather than um than man versus nature or man versus man and also it really focuses more on his internal experience while he's going on this like hero's journey so it's it's really it's beautifully done and I think that 
it's one of those that mileage will vary. Some people are not going to enjoy it partly because I think they just don't get it because they don't have maybe the background that you kind of need to have for a film like this. But uh, like definitely the couple that was sitting next to me in the movie got up and left because they just were like, this is boring. I don't get it. And, you know, I can't blame them because I think if you don't, if you don't know what you're getting into when you walk into that movie, it's going to be a unexpected experience. But Dev Patel was great. And David Lowry just, he really makes movies that I love. He's, he's so gifted at taking his time. He doesn't rush things, but he doesn't linger too long either. I don't know if that makes sense without context, but it's like, there's so much happening while he's just letting the camera just kind of like sit there. And he does that a lot with this because there's a lot of time where it's just quiet and Dev Patel is just by himself, you know, and, and going through his experiences and it just, he's so captivating and it's just, it's incredibly well done. So beautiful, beautiful movie. I, it was totally worth the wait. I loved it. I am super jealous. Like I, I am looking forward to seeing it. Not as much as some people have been where it's been like, Oh my God, I must have this movie. Now. <laughs> like but me. <laughs> I, Yeah. But I am looking forward to it. Like uh, yeah. it, it looks fascinating. And I, I did find it funny that it's, it's obvious when some people have read the poem and when people haven't because mm -hmm. they're just like this just looks weird it's like okay let me explain to you something <laughs> about middle english poetry um yeah <laughs> it's all weird <laughs> it's weird it's weird it's not what you think it actually it, it is you know we have this view of what chivalric romance looks like but that's not what it often is <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, and, and Gawain is definitely one of the weirder ones. I, think. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I actually, one of my claims to fame is that, uh, I had to read Sir Gawain and the Green Knight in Middle English during my, um, university career. Wow. Uh, because that was one of the, the university that I went to their English department, you had to learn and read both Middle English and Old English, uh, to be, to get, to get your English degree. You had to go through these classes. Um, and so that was one of, obviously one of the poems that, um, we had to read. So it, which is even more of a trippy experience when you're sort of half understanding some of the things you're trying to parse out what is being said. Uh, and then you're like, okay, I, do I understand that this is what is actually happening? <laughs> and then you look it up in your book. You're like, okay, yes, I, I got that perfectly. It's just strange. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> And there's plenty of that in here. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. Yes. Uh, so anything else? Um, I'm, I've pretty much exhausted my, my watching for the week. Yeah, just that and the Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> so much Olympics. It's uh, funny how like, cause there's, there's stuff that's like, I don't, I don't watch BMX racing in real life. I don't watch swimming you know, but when the Olympics is on, it's like, I have to watch all the swimming. I have, you know, it's, I get obsessed. I completely understand. And it's been a bizarre Olympics too. It so. has, it really has, which I mean, trying to pull off the Olympics during a, you know, a pandemic was already going to be bizarre and complicated. So yes. Uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm still kind of amazed that it's gone ahead, but, um, and really 
the considering all the problems they could have i think that it's going reasonably well really yeah so far it's knock on wood yeah there's still like a week to go so yeah so um i think that that is going to close us out as always thank you so much to everybody for listening and thank you especially to our patrons who include adriana ali heather james kathleen cariata mason matt matthew michelle monty nanina robert robert steve sharon pow and will thank you so much guys for continuing to support us um we are going to have some fun things coming up we obviously we've been on vacation and have been like doing a lot of different stuff i had no idea what week it was i was surprised that it was august 1st (laughs) um so we're a little bit behind on scheduling things but we are gonna get some fun things scheduled we're gonna have a watch party pretty soon um and we're gonna do a couple of more fun things for both episodes and stuff like that so keep an eye out for that we are thinking of you guys and as always we are really really grateful um, for your support if you want to join our patrons that then you can go to patreon.com slash citizen dame and you can get bonus episodes and fun stuff we're redesigning our logo um and so we're going to release some buttons and things like that with the new logo once we get that done uh, if you want to just kick us a couple of dollars, we have a Ko-Fi account. That's ko-fi.com slash citizen dame. We also have a Zazzle store, zazzle.com slash citizen dame pod. You should still be wearing your masks, uh, even if you are vaccinated, and especially if you are in public and indoors. Let's cut down on the Delta variant. Uh, and you can get a citizen dame mask from our Zazzle store. Yes. Let's see what else. We also, of course, have our website. That's citizendamepod.com. And there are a couple of new reviews up there. We're going to come back with our fives. And uh, and I've got a couple of reviews that have been percolating for a while. And I just have to get them done and posted. So be certain to keep an eye out for that. You can also email us if you want to get in contact with us, citizendamepod at gmail.com. Also, let us know if there are any issues with episodes, um, You know, if there are any technical problems that you're, that you're noticing. Uh, and, and also if you do listen to us on iTunes, you listen to us on, I think we're on Spotify, um, you know, just leave us a review, leave us a rating, especially if you like the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, it is really helpful for us because it's, first of all, it, it's nice. Um, and it lets us know that the people are enjoying listening to us and also just getting, um, getting our ratings higher is always a nice thing. And thank you to everyone who has rated us so far. You're lovely people. Yes. We are also on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Citizen Dame Pod and Letterboxd at Citizen Dame. And I'm going to try to be posting a few more lists and stuff like that. Most of which is just me being snarky and being like, here's some awesome movies by women because you keep on asking us about that random Exactly. <laughs> You can also get in touch with us individually. I am on Twitter and Instagram at LH Business and Letterboxd at LH Business. Karen, where are you? I am on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Karen M. Peterson. And that will close us out for this week. We will talk to you guys later. Bye. Excalibur. Wow. 64 Fender Stratocast in classic white with triple single coil pickups and a whammy ball. Pre-CBS Fender corporate buyout. I'd raise the bridge, fall down the net, and take the buzz out the low E. God, I love this woman. Hi, Garth. Hi. Where's the clerk? I know. I'll use the may I help you riff. May I help you? Yes, my good man.
I'd like to have a look at this Fender Stratocaster, please. Oh, really? Yes. Again? Yes. No stairway. Denied. 